John 20 at verse 19 is found on page 1686 in your pew Bible. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miracles and signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this story begins, uh, uh, you know, in a way where we were last week as we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things that that really jumps off the page, you know, is when Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on them. Now, last week we talked a lot about how important it is to receive the Holy Spirit and to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, to live as a newborn person in the Holy Spirit. And these words of Jesus are, are stumbling blocks in some ways if we don't try to understand them more completely. And with the Spirit's help, I hope we can understand that when he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, in, in some traditions, that's turned into a system of religion and a way of managing our sin in a more you know, pragmatic way. But what does that really mean? Does, does that mean that once we've received the Holy Spirit and been sent by the Father in the same way that Jesus was sent, we have the power to forgive sins or withhold forgiveness for sins? You know, I hope not. <laughs> I, I hope not. I, uh, I think that there's a great deal of evil that has occurred in the world, and certainly in our personal lives, we can all relate to the evil that happens 
when we hold grudges against other people, when we, when we hold someone accountable for something and we refuse to let go of that accountability because somehow we think that they get off the hook if we forgive them. If you really think that through, and I really am trying to come back to this particular part of the passage, but let's think this through in our humanness, to, to think that someone is eventually going to awaken to their guilt that you've held against them for perhaps years, and that somehow once they awaken to that, they're going to do something to make it right, and then everything will be okay, is a little absurd. But we do it all the time. We just stay mad at somebody who's injured us in some way, or, or we just hold them responsible for injury that has happened to us. And we think if we hold this account open, that somehow eventually they'll recognize that they owe you a debt and that they should repay it. Now, holding people accountable for their sin after having received the Holy Spirit seems like a contradiction. If you've held someone responsible for something and refused to forgive them, then, and, and to be frank, there have been times when I have offered forgiveness or I should say, I have asked for forgiveness and it wasn't accepted because it wasn't sincere enough or because it felt contrived in some way or forced in some way. Or like when a parent tells a child, tell your sister you're sorry. And the child says, I'm sorry. And the sister goes, yeah, right. You sound real sorry. And yet, we know that grown-ups do it too. We're supposed to be grown-up, but we will not be satisfied. We just won't be satisfied because the offense was so great. Or there was some... There's just something that won't let you cancel the account. But let's make it clear. If we have received the Holy Spirit, then the thing that has happened to us is first, our account has been cleared. You can't receive the Holy Spirit until you have your account cleared by accepting that Christ paid your debt. Now, I've been talking with my daughter, Bethany, and my future daughter-in-law, like next week, by the way, about student loan debt. And like a parent, like all the parents here and grandparents, I, I want much to help with that, you know? I wish that I had it in my power to cancel their debt. I, I wish that there was some way that I could do something that would take away my child's debt, my daughter-in-law's debt. I, I, want to, I want to cancel their debt for them. I want to go personally and offer some sacrifice, some offering that will take that burden away from them. And you know what I'm thinking, because your parents too and grandparents, you know how I feel. I want to take the debt away, but I can't. 
Our Heavenly Father, on the other hand, has seen His children's debt that can't be cleared no matter how hard they try. And He has offered a way to cancel the debt. And as if that's not enough, once He cancels the debt, He then gives you something in its place that is tantamount to the very nature of Christ. You've been invited to embody Christ in yourself. You've been allowed to to fill the void where this sin once dwelt with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the, the Holy Spirit comes. Now, I ask you again, if that has happened, then how could you hold someone accountable for sin? I believe that what's happening here is Jesus is making a really important point. He's saying now that your debt has been canceled and you have been made new in the Holy Spirit. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Forgive. May I say, for God's sake, forgive. Because I mean it just like that. There's a certain luxury in knowing that my time of serving here is coming to a close. That Yet I'd like you to be able to say that even when I didn't know whether I might be around to suffer the consequences of my preaching, I still said what had to be said. Still obeyed the Holy Spirit and as a, as a father or family member does in love, I told you the truth even when it hurt. And I can tell you that the unforgiveness that we bear towards one another is killing us. And worse than that, it's killing our relationship with God. And we've got to realize that that is worth salvaging, even if it costs us a great deal of pride. When we refuse to forgive others, we're assuming, ridiculously, if you want to know the truth, that somehow if we keep holding their debt against them, they'll get it eventually and they'll make amends. And you know what? If they haven't done it pretty quickly, they probably won't. And if they are forced to do it, then you won't be satisfied because you'll think that it's not real. And so the problem rests with me if I'm still unforgiving, doesn't it? And this, I believe, is why Jesus speaks of the forgiveness in the way he does. Now, there's a theme that's going to come out of the Scripture after the resurrection, and it's a theme that's pretty apparent, isn't it? It's all about forgiveness. We're going to move on here, and we're going to read or think about again how Thomas was, was unwilling to believe that his friend Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God to the extent that he could raise from the dead. And Thomas was apparently so unbelieving or unforgiving of of all of the transgressions that he, you know, in other words, he was bitter because Jesus let him down. He was bitter because the other fellows let him down. And the reason I say that is, is an assumption. It's a conjecture on my part, but it has to do with the fact that they all stayed together except for him. That, that they all hid out together. They lost their leader, but they, at least they had each other. So they stayed together, except Thomas. He was ticked. 
So he went in a different direction and said, forget you guys, forget Jesus. This was obviously a big mistake. I'm conjecturing here. That's not in your scripture. But I asked myself to imagine why was Thomas not there and why was he so sure that there was no way that what these guys saw was real? And can you imagine what he thought? When he looked at Jesus, because it says to us pretty plainly in the scripture, that he never actually probed the finger holes or the side of Jesus. He just looked, and when Jesus said in a voice that must have been very familiar to Thomas, Hey, Tom, go ahead. Let's get this over with. Thomas didn't do anything except fall on his face and say, My Lord and my God. So if we're hard on Thomas, let's just keep in mind that he professed unconditionally that Jesus was God and he's Lord. Can you imagine that he was probably a little embarrassed and ashamed because now he probably felt like he owed Jesus an apology. He probably felt like he owed his friends an apology. How many times as parents can you recall when the kids were little and they would tell you something that you just thought was unbelievable and they're just dumb little kids anyway, what do they know? And then they prove to be right and you have to apologize to a four-year-old because they were right and you and all your maturity and grown-upness was wrong. I hope you've had that experience. I really do because it's, it's, it's a little bit like the kind of humility that will make you, well, I think maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said, come like one of these little ones, you know? And he says, peace be with you. He offers forgiveness. He says, it's okay. You know, Tom, this, is, this has been a tough time for us. And you guys have been expected to figure out and understand and, and, and live through some unbelievably difficult times, and it's okay. The, the, the thing is, is you're forgiven. Now receive the Holy Spirit. The message that seems so important in this era, this period following the resurrection is forgiveness. We'll read soon about Peter's restoration. It's one of my like top five stories in the Bible that I love to read. And, and it is a theme that is throughout the New Testament, but especially during the resurrection period, where Jesus looks at people and says, it's forgiven. Put it behind you. I've had people say to me, and I've said this myself, I can forgive, I just can't forget. And I've responded in different ways over the years. I've even thought differently over the years, but I've reached a place in my life where I can understand now that as hard as it seems, there really must be a forgetting that goes with the forgiveness. Otherwise, it's not really forgiveness. 
Now, does that mean that you don't think about it from time to time? I don't think so. But do you think about it differently? Let's practicalize it for a moment. I think it's made up a word. Let's, let's, just, let's just say that I have a promissory note from you where you owe me money and you've never returned the money, you've never paid me the money, let alone the interest, and, and I have decided to forgive the debt. And so I write a little uh, ancient word. I write tetelestai across your promissory note in big red letters, which means paid in full. I write that on the promissory note, and then I throw it in my old business box. You know, I, <laughs> you, after six years as your pastor, I can confess that if you go into my office, you will see the appearance of neatness. But if you look closely, you'll see that I don't file, I pile. Because I find that when I file things, I forget on what basis I filed the thing and therefore will never be able to find it again. And since I've never had the luxury of an administrative assistant who was better at that than me, and I do love my administrative assistant like brother, I really do, but I can say he any of it, he's not any better at it than I am. So he's grateful that I pile rather than file because it means that there's a pile over there and what we need is in it. We just have to start sorting and we will find it. This seems to be a pretty efficient way to be inefficient. So if I canceled your promissory note and wrote, paid in full on it, and I'd probably throw it in one of my piles, and then maybe one day because you said a crossword to me or because I was just grumpy and tired, I remembered, you know, that son of a gun never did pay me back. I'd have to go through that pile and I'd have to read again that I canceled that debt. And then I'd have to own the fact that I canceled that debt. And as I speak to you from the voice of experience, I can say that that is the way that I have personally learned to forgive and forget. I stopped holding a person accountable for whatever I held against them. And in the beginning, it was hard because I would keep remembering it. And sometimes because of the uh, presence of the person and the consistency of the irritation or whatever it is, I was tempted to keep coming back to that. But I would have to say to myself intentionally, no, that's forgiven. Now, remember when I said earlier that there are times when you find yourself forgiving someone or I have forgiven someone and I sensed or heard through the grapevine that they weren't accepting my, uh, uh, wait, I did it again. When I say forgive in this case, I meant to say apologize. When I apologize to somebody, when I apologize to somebody and then I say Uh, I I hear later on that they're not accepting the apology because they've heard that it was forced in some way. That, That I wasn't really sincere. I want to bring you to this point that I was just trying to make. The fact is, is if I have forgiven somebody and at first it seemed, I did it again. 
If I have apologized to somebody, and at first it seemed in some way insincere, the only thing I could say to you is, is I am working as hard as I can to make it a reality. And the first step is to have the courage to say, I'm sorry. Okay? The first step is to have the courage to say, I am sorry. And then the next step is to keep working at being sorry. And in the same way, forgiveness is something you keep working at. It's not something you can just say it and it's done and that's that. In reality, if someone apologizes to you and you're tempted to think it's not really sincere, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but here's the thing. They tried to do the right thing. And now you have to try to do the right thing. And together we are sanctified. Far as I can tell, as I read the scripture, there's only one person who in an instant forgave everything and it was done. Everybody else seems to be like me in their human limitation, working through a process of sanctification. That is an increasing holiness as you live through your life. You know? And so the only real crime that we commit, I believe, as we go in the name of Jesus sent by the Father, as Jesus was sent by the Father, is to not seek the Spirit's ability to continually sanctify us, to continually make us holy. To recognize that I will apologize when necessary, even if it's hard at first and it's even hard to mean it with all your heart, because I believe that in that opening commitment of self and pride, I'm allowing the Spirit into a place in my heart that needs some help. And then I let the Spirit continually to shape my regret and my remorse into something deeply authentic that turns into a form of love that in some ways is more real and rich. And in the same way, if I forgive someone of their sin against me, at first I can say, you know what, it's okay, I forgive you. And you and I both know that you're walking away going, I'm not sure if I do or not. But I said it, now I'm going to have to mean it. When these things became more real to me, it was around that time that when I ever would, would preside over the Lord's table, I would really put a strong emphasis on the necessity of coming to the table of the Lord, ready to be at peace with God and at peace with each other. It was when I realized that this is why we break bread together routinely at the Lord's table. Because it's a constant reminder through the sacrament that we have been forgiven and in the same way we are in communion with God and in communion with each other through the power of grace. And in us human beings, grace is something we have to open ourselves to on a regular basis because for some reason we'll close it off just like that. There's a reason, as absurd as it is, that Jesus in his resurrected form is still wounded. 
We have read through Scripture, we cling to the words at times as funerals, for example. We, we cling to the words and we realize that, that these achy, broken bodies of ours, these diseased and sin-sick bodies of ours will be something new and profoundly different when the resurrection comes. And we look forward to that. But if that's true, then why is the firstborn of the resurrected dead still wounded? Because it is by his wounds that we are healed. And in effect, the resurrected Lord Jesus, who's clearly living in a form that is more than it was before he died and rose again, simply because for some reason he doesn't need to worry about whether your door's locked or not if he wants to come inside. And so he's clearly got a unique physicality as a resurrected being that is clearly improved considerably over the old model, and yet his has scars on it. Open wounds, it says. He says to Tom, Stick your hand in my side. And the reason is, is because that is the tetelestai on our debt. That is the red ink that says paid in full. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the inspiration of the Spirit. Oh God, please help us to forgive one another, to genuinely repent and regret the injury we cause each other, and to apologize. And we recognize, Lord, that in our apologies and in our forgiveness, there is human pride that is so dangerous. And so we ask that when we make that step, we we be filled with the Holy Spirit through that opening into our pride. And that it becomes a journey of healing and restoration. Please bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.